The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Jam. Yeah, but what show number is it? The 200th show. The 27th April, 2009. Congratulations, John and Dave. Yeah, congratulations. Welcome to Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 200. Hi, John. No, that's what I thought. It was the, uh, the, the, the Pete clan there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That was, uh, yeah, Pete's two oldest. Oh, well, Pete's taking care of that. That's right. Yeah. What show is that? <laughs> uh, okay, so for those of you listening for the first time right now, uh, this is a show that we recorded, that John and I decided to do live. Um, it was actually Pete's idea, so blame him. And uh, and we've got a bunch of people up on TalkShoe here right now. I'm not sure exactly how many, but it's lots. 52. 52. All right. Good. And uh, and and so we're going to be taking questions from some of them. We'll uh, we'll try and do this as uh, normally as possible to or at least we're, we're going to do this with the uh, with, with the thought that it will be listened to by more people that are not on uh, on the live show. But of course, we want to have have lots of interaction because we are celebrating here now. Now, you, you did hit the record button. I just want to make sure because we've had that happen maybe in one episode. And I, I know we're not the only podcasters who forget to hit the record button and talk for 10 or 20 or 30 minutes or uh, yeah, through the whole show. It's happened. So anyways. No, it, it looks good. I think we're I think we're all right here. And uh, and in theory, the audio will allow us to pull in uh, the folks from TalkShoe just like we okay. always do. Now, I'm curious. Now, I'm, I'm looking at this app. So first, um, I'm, I'm very glad that this TalkShoe app, which you asked me to install, appears to be a Java-based app, which is great because I'm running it on my G5. But the oh. nice thing about Java is that it runs on pretty much anything. That's the only, uh, the only nice thing, thing I'm about seeing, Java. The only thing I'm seeing is, and this is the, my, my little finger wag at Java, is that the UI is a little funky. Like the text in my um, window here, uh, chat window, is clipped on the bottom and on the right a little bit. And that, that's the one thing that I've noticed about Java UIs is that they, uh, some implementations don't get it quite right. But it's certainly functional. It seems to be working, and I'm seeing everybody typing in and stuff, including people on G5s. Cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Um, okay, so we're having some audio things. I, there's actually nothing I can do about John's audio to talk to because that's all happening direct via Skype. Uh, I hear John just fine. So I can turn I, my gain up a little bit. Yeah, you, go ahead and do that. I can, I can always readjust you here. Right. I turned up just a, just a tad. Okay. Yeah. You're not breaking up for me. Uh, although you, you know, and it might be. Because we're on TalkShoe, but, but but that might be compromising your audio quality slightly, John. Uh, but uh-huh. it is what it is. Is this a roast here? I'm looking at some of these comments. I, I can't I look at these. They're trying to I... screw us up. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's uh, let's start with uh, with a question in the room. Do we have we have a question from oh from our our, uh, our AAC conversion guru Michael Johnston? So we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. We are we are live. Oh, get this, John. You're going to love this. We are live yeah. on the net, right? Not live without a net. We're live on the net. Get that? Get the, the plan. Anyway, we better go to Michael. No. Hi, he's, Michael. He's live. Hello, Dave. How, how are Can you, you sir? Me? Yes. I'm all right. How are you? 
We're doing well. We're doing well. So uh, I, I'm gonna. I've got to ride the gain here because I have one volume knob that's for John and Michael. So go ahead, uh, Michael. What, what's uh, you, you said? You had a question about Wi-Fi. Is that right? Yes, I do. Uh, so I just moved into a, a new office space for iPhone Alley, and uh, we have Wi-Fi here. Uh, it's a Linksys Theta 211N router, um, and of course I have a MacBook Pro with N in there. And uh, so I connect to that, and he's got Comcast here, and it's really fast, and I think, I don't know, maybe 20 kbps down uh, but when i connect over 802.11n i get maybe one or two kbps down and uh, it's very intermittent in its uh, speed and quality and the connection drops and i have to hit refresh a lot uh, so i tried you know i thought maybe the um because ed kirk connected with his macbook pro on g worked fine um and so I thought maybe it's an, an N-spec problem on this router. So I upgraded the firmware. It was out of date. thought that would fix it, but it didn't. Uh, so I set it to G-only mode, and now my speed is, you know, just just about as much as G can offer. Uh, but on 802.11n, it's um, not working well. Okay. Uh, I think I've seen this same problem before uh, with on, uh, with two different routers and two different laptops, but both were owned by Jeff Quistad, who is our, one of our Austin-based reps for Backbeat Media. Uh, how? What vintage is your MacBook Pro, Michael? It's the uh, newest MacBook Pro. Hmm. All right. Well, that 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 screws my theory that uh, that there was a bad. Well, and it may it may be the same theory that there's okay. a, a strange the, patch. Go ahead, John. What's the base again? What's the what, what, what the, the base station? It's a Linksys. Uh, okay. Data to 11N router. I can t- pull up the model number in just a second here. Um, but I will mention also that um, I use my uh, Airport Extreme at home with Data uh, to 11N mode only, and it works just fine. So if that helps at all. Yeah. But the... For the record, where I saw this problem with Jeff, it was happening on a time capsule, which obviously is Apple hardware and which was at our office. And then also on his uh, some Belkin, you know, N based router uh, that he had at home. And and we just we narrowed it down to this machine didn't want to talk happily over. And now it seems strange when it was a second machine that he had and now uh, a machine uh, that. It, you know that that's yours now i'm assuming that this is yeah so somebody on the on the show asked if there were two radios or one is it just a single is it 2.4 gigahertz n michael or is it 5 gigahertz n um i think there's a setting to to uh to change that right and it so not I think I have. necessarily okay okay i'm looking at it it's i think it's the uh, the 2.4 gigahertz it, that makes sense. That that's what we had going on um, down okay. in Austin too. Because we discussed that the the Apple unit, I think, if you hold down the right key, will let you pick the 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 uh, frequency range for the uh, for the N stuff. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. Now we commented on this before. I mean, N is supposedly a draft standard, and it sounds. I'm wondering if it's an interoperability issue. The other thing I was thinking is to get something like iStumbler and just kind of snoop around and just. Make sure you're on a good channel and you're not uh, running into anybody else uh, is always, I, I think, a good recommendation. Get some sort of sniffer. Again, iStumbler is good for Wi-Fi and uh, Bluetooth and, and some other things. 
and just uh, survey the neighborhood. Uh, Though I don't know, I'm leaning towards a compatibility issue. You know, it's just again, it's a draft standard. Maybe it just either, or as you suggested, Dave, the frequency. Maybe there's a lot of garbage in one frequency, and you should try the other. Yeah. but with uh, with Ed using uh, an 802.11G uh, MacBook Pro at the same time as I was, he was getting uh, no problems at all. Right. So if you've got so people, just, yeah, if you've got people on on 2.4, you can't change the frequency to five without cutting them out, even if the radio would support it. And my guess is it won't. Um, but yeah, so a couple of people in the chat room are, are asking, are you on a, pa- you know, is the network password protected? And if it is, just try turning that off to see if it's the encryption that's causing the problem. Like I said, I've seen this before. I've seen it with Apple branded routers with Apple hardware, and it's always been hmm. on the, the 2.4 gigahertz end connections. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a magic answer, but but my guess is that it's a software issue on your computer and there's something you've either installed or a setting you've changed that uh that was similar to whatever jeff installed or changed down in uh down in austin that that causes this issue and i i, I don't know what it is we, we sort of scratched our heads over it uh down there quite a bit but try try well, it without I also, encryption I, I will try that and i will also mention that there's a uh, a new uh imac the uh, the same black and uh, yep. black and aluminum iMac that I tried with the eight hundred two eleven N and it had the same kind of issue. Interesting. So okay. I wonder if it's and, and as far as I can tell, it's a pristine iMac, but it's it's another one here in the office. Right. So I'll try it without the security, though. Yeah, try it without security, and if you can't get it to work, at least in our experience with the similar situation, setting the router to G uh, completely solved the problem forever. So. Uh, yeah, that's what solved it here uh, in, right now before I uh, asked you the question. So, got it. I may oh. just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Even I, my guess is, uh, unless you're really far away from the router, even at G speeds, you're still going to get full uh, the full benefit of the Comcast connection. Right. I'm just I'm literally right underneath the router, so it shouldn't be an issue. Gotcha. Well, if you're right underneath it, maybe you drop just drop an Ethernet cable and be done with the mess. <laughs> I don't want to connect with Ethernet. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. It's a laptop. It's easier to you know bring the laptop around. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Michael. And hey, Thank man. You. It, you know, if we could all have a big uh, you know round of, of group love here for for Michael. <laughs> no, man. You know, he spends a lot of time, and and we do you know our best to compensate him for his efforts. But uh, but but he does put his heart and soul into converting these shows, and and I I know I really appreciate it. And my guess is the listeners actually appreciate it even more. So, so thank you very Absolutely. much. I, I love doing it and helping you guys out because you really got my, uh, you got me started with uh, all this internet uh, journalism and, and Mac world and, and all this stuff. So. Uh, oh, yeah. So Michael started out as, as a listener to this podcast, of course, and, and many others. Um, but he pinged me. I was at my desk for some reason. I was at my desk at like 2 a.m. on like a, you know, maybe it was a Monday night after we'd recorded the show. I think you were at a conference. No, I was I was here. I, I was here in my office. I remember where I was. And, and for some reason I had iChat open and Michael found me and, and pinged me and said, how come you don't do the AAC thing anymore? And I said, well, I don't have time. And, you know, it, it's, you, you know, the end of that story. But uh, but yeah, it was it was very, very. Uh, very cool that it, it sort of worked out that way. And then, of course, you started iPhone Alley and, and uh, you know, now you're uh, now, now you're, you know, now you get the big bucks. 
So there you go. And let's not forget that you hooked me up with uh, with Macworld passes that year too. Oh, well, that's right. I, I gotta I gotta fondly remember Michael. I think you remember, but um, you know, you were a young guy and uh, you were asking, you know, how to navigate the show and uh, whether you could get to Steve or anybody. And I'm like, you know what? Go for it. Didn't. But you told me you to try it, but you did it, man. You got as close as any of us have, I think. You just kind of waltzed up there, and it's like, hey, Steve, how's it going? <laughs> well, I, I don't think you got really close, but I, but I think you got to talk to Jonathan and a few others, right? Yeah, I said, uh, I asked Steve to sign my iPod, and he said, find me later. And I, I did talk to Jonathan Ives for a little while, and he uh, he played with the iPod, but he wouldn't sign it because he he didn't, you know, he, he said that, you know, he wasn't the only one who worked on it. But that was awesome. I didn't think you'd do it, but you did. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Somebody's asking Somebody's asking the date uh that the first Geek Gab was released, and I am trying to figure out if I have that anywhere here. It's 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 June of oh five. and I can't uh, I, off the top of my head I can't remember it. It and it's and I know it's not easy to find on the web, though it's still out there. Um, if somebody looks in the MP3 feed, it will be there. It's it's obviously all the way at the bottom. So, hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, should we take another question? Is there another uh, question in the room? So, yeah, the way this works is uh, if you click request to talk, um, that'll uh, just like Lou just did. All right. Welcome in, Lou. Oh, Lou. Okay, I've got yeah, I've got a couple of questions concerning uh, time capsule. You hear me? Okay. Yeah, we Go. can hear you. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The first question, because you've talked about this before, when you're backing up several Macs to a time capsule, you were talking, you were addressing the issue of running out of space by minimizing the size of the uh, sparse images. Would it be easier or just as good, or can you not do it, to partition the time capsule disk basing the partition size on the relative size of the drives that you're backing up and just assign each uh, each Mac to one of those partitions? Yeah, okay. Is that doable? You know, I saw that question because, uh, so, so going back a bit, I guess the default behavior of, uh, just for those that... Uh, you know, to re- refresh the thread here, the default behavior is when it creates the sparse image, it takes up the maximum size of the partition. And I guess that makes normally multiple machine uh, backups uh, difficult. What you can do is is reset or, or make a, a sparse image take up less space than the default, which is everything. And then that helps manage it a bit. But it, there's still an issue of, you know, what if you exceed that? So I, I, I remember seeing that that suggestion, Lou, you know, it it sounds like it should work. What do you think? Well, do you I know that, that I know that on my uh, on my plug-in hard drive, I've got a partition for two different Macs, but I have to plug each one into it to be able to let time, the time machine work. And the other question is, uh, and this is going to sound really dumb, but will a will an Airport Express with a drive of my choice plugged into it function the same as a time capsule? Uh, say that again. Uh, and, I, I, uh, no, I got it, Dave. Okay, well, go ahead. Well, he, he was, well, it's the second part of the question. Uh, I think you were asking, uh, and I remember your uh, uh, email, Lou, but um, Airport, Expre- uh, Airport Express uh, with a... Excuse me, I'm not Express. I'm, I'm in Airport Extreme, excuse me. Airport Extreme, I'm sorry. Um, same 
Yeah, I think it. But yeah, Airport Extreme plus USB drive versus time capsule, Dave. Remember we we, we yeah, actually, that's that's strangely enough. That's Alexander's question that we were going to answer. So let's answer the first half. of. I'm this. sorry. I, yeah. I, I, wow. OK, so we got multiple questions about the same topic. Yeah, okay, that's right. I, I didn't have it in front of me, but. Um, um, OK, so the, uh, the the first part of the question, can you part, you know, does it make sense to partition the drive? It it does. Now, partitioning the time capsules drive is something that that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, but it is possible and, and it makes perfect sense to, to do that. But with this, with the caveat that when you partition a drive, you kind of have to know in advance how much space you want to use. And that may or may not, uh, be the, the decision you make on day one may not be the decision you're happy with down the road. So, so that would be my, my, my big concern I've got five machines backing up to a one terabyte time capsule here and you know, they, they do fine. Um, I did do some management of the sparse bundles. Um, time machine sort of took that over anyway, but, uh, but it's been, it's been working fine. So, uh, so I, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily do it. I, I think you're okay with, uh, with, with what you're doing. Uh, you're just letting it, you know, letting it go, but that's, I don't know. Hmm. What do you think, John? Well, that kind of reaffirms my, my fist shake a lot of times or, or just, you know, as I think you probably know, if you've listened for a while, I tend to not like partitioning drives exactly for the reason you just brought up, Dave. You never know when things will change in the future, though. I think, uh, though, if you need to, uh, I guess the thing is, it, it's relatively easier to resize the images than it is the partitions, though, though you can resize partitions. And I think even do recovery uh i haven't uh, i haven't experimented a lot with this but i I believe that's something you can do now right you you can resize a partition a non-destructive resize you can that's that's right as long as the disc is connected directly to your mac um again you know partitioning the time capsule starts to get a little funky but but for a disc that's connected to your mac as long as it's hfs uh or hfs plus rather with with leopard and and presumably later uh, you can you can resize with the uh, with the disk utility um, certainly with the command line and I think even with the uh, the thing I'm I'm in a fog here tonight John you know I've had this cold and I took some uh, meds for it and nice so, yeah it's good no it's great it's fun excellent <laughs> uh, all right so now let's answer the second half of Lou's question which is uh, the entirety of Alexander's question that we did not even play yet we prepped. So, and I believe the question, uh, if you translated it to me correctly, John, is that uh, what's the point in buying a time capsule for, you know, 500 bucks for a one terabyte model versus buying an airport extreme for 180 and like 100 bucks for a USB two terabyte drive that's that's hanging off of it. And I think that's the the net of, of is the of, gist. OK. All right. So you go. As to why you would. Well, well, the initial thought is, gee, why am I paying all this money? Um, and actually, it may be faster a time capsule because instead of USB, it may be. And I don't know about this. I, I was going to look for a time capsule, you know, uh, take apart thing. But I would suspect that it's not a USB bus, that it's directly connected. So in theory, I think you, you could be going faster. But then, as you pointed out, Dave, um, a, a drive connected to an airport is something called AirDisc. AirDisc, the last I checked, is not officially supported for time machine use. 
In in fact, officially, it's unsupported for time machine use, and you have to type a, a magic little incantation at the terminal in order to get time machine to even acknowledge it as a potential destination for backups. Now, uh, I've heard multiple reports. Pete, I think you you actually do air disk. Uh, I do for time machine, and uh, yeah, would you recommend? In short, would you recommend it? And in long, why or why not? Uh, in short, yes. In long, no. Uh, it it worked well at first. It's gotten boggy. Um, as you as you've seen at one point, I had uh, I don't know five hundred gigs backed up, and it got to the point where now I need I, I deleted it, and now I'm having some issues with my southbound traffic from my from my Drobo, which is my air disk, back down to my computer. So once I sort that out, I think I'll be back up and running. Uh, it, it's a great way to go. It, it, it's worked really well, but I wouldn't recommend it as a solo solution. I use Super Duper and make a bootable disk and keep that separate, and then I use Time Machine as as my other backup for air disk. So a multi-layered approach. A multi-layered approach. Okay, normally when John gets booted off the call... Uh, John, I got booted there? off of the. No, I got booted off a of talk shoe. Ah, okay. I was gonna say nothing looks like you got booted. Okay. All right. So, so there's uh, there, there's some advice. Yeah, I. There's some wackiness with the way time capsule works or time machine works, and time capsule uh, sort of accounts for that in the whole uh, setup. And apparently, the airport extreme does not. So, yeah, I I, I think, frankly, I think. Time machine is great, but one of the big problems with it is you don't get any real notification if there's problems. Usually it takes even even to get any notification often takes 10 days. Uh, You you know, you've got to have a problem for a a backup not happening for 10 days in order for that thing to to to, you know, pop up and even begin to notify you. Now, you can look in the logs and see the problems, but it's not enough for for what should be a you know fail safe backup solution, you just don't know if you're having problems. So uh, well, I'm not going to advertise it as that because uh. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, I use it as my first line of defense. But like Pete, I I, I use Super Duper once a day to uh, to clone my boot drive. Uh, do I use Super Duper? Yeah, I guess I use Super Duper. John, you you use Carbon Copy Cloner, right? Yes, yeah. when I okay. need to do that. And that, you know, I check that probably once every week or so just to make sure it's working and it it's always fine. And if there is a problem, I get a notification immediately, you know, when I get to my my desk the next day. So, yeah, and uh, as far as the alerts now, I, I think I told you about this, but uh, my buddy Josh was having problems where it would just come up with an error saying, oh, I can't do a backup. Sorry. And I'm like, well, check the console. He uh, once once I, I told him how to filter the console on, uh, I think it was backup D, which is the. Uh, uh, time machine process. It right. came up oddly with a spotlight error because I guess somehow yeah. spotlight That's is right. somehow grafted that. into that. And that, yeah, so I want to mention it quickly. Um, just to your point, that sometimes it, it warns you and you don't know what the heck was going on. In his case, by by nuking the uh, spotlight uh, index and re-indexing, all of a sudden time machine work. It's like, huh? But yeah. Okay. Next, who? Uh, is there something saying Jeff is uh, is Jeff waiting? To- yeah, we've actually got Jeff Gamet waiting, but uh, I, I do want to talk about our our first sponsor for this show because uh, okay. it is the sponsors that uh, that 
provide us the funds that help keep us going here. And uh, and the good, the great part is every single one of our sponsors has fantastic products. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be able to talk about them uh, during each show. Sponsor for today is Audio Engine, AudioEngineUSA.com. Uh, today, I wanted to talk about the Audio Engine W1 or the AW1 Premium Wireless Audio Adapter. This is... Uh, a USB audio solution. So you plug this into your Mac and then uh, it wirelessly transmits the audio from your Mac to a little receiver uh, that plugs into, say, your stereo or your wireless speakers or uh, really anything that, that can take an, uh, you know, a two channel audio input. The magic is uh, these guys have done this in a way that there is no noticeable latency whatsoever. So you can actually have a movie going on your Mac and hear the audio out of the speakers and everything is in sync. Now, obviously it's not perfectly in sync. That would be impossible, uh, but it's in sync enough to where uh, at least any human I've ever showed it to uh, cannot tell that there's any lag whatsoever. And I certainly can't. And I'm a picky SOB when it comes to this stuff. And when my TiVo gets out of sync, I stop everything and I restart it because I just can't stand it when uh, when there's even the slightest delay. Uh, so that's one hundred and forty nine bucks from AudioEngineUSA.com for the for the W one. Now they have the W two as well, which is the same concept, but instead of it being a USB connector uh, that that pulls the audio out of your computer, it's a dock connector that pulls the audio from your iPod or of course your iPhone. And this makes it really cool because you can have your iPhone or even your you know your iPod. And now it becomes a wireless music transmitter, or you could even think of it as a wireless music remote, right? So if you've got, you know, your wireless speakers or your, even your stereo speakers somewhere else, they don't have to be wireless, but they're wireless from your iPhone or iPod. You go in, you, you click play, you can adjust the volume, you can change tracks, you can change to a different playlist, and you just cart the, uh, the iPod or iPhone around with you, and you can totally change things without uh, having to run back over to the stereo. Now, that's 169 bucks. Both are available, audioengineusa.com. Check them out. If, uh, if you do happen to buy some stuff, let, us, uh, let them know that, uh, that uh, you heard about it from here, because uh, they, we certainly appreciate them being a sponsor, and, uh, and they certainly appreciate hearing about... Uh, the stuff you folks like. So, um, okay. We are going to move on to, we said we were going to move on to Jeff Gamut. So if Jeff is still there, let's, uh, let's bring him up. He's live. Hi, Jeff. Holy crap. I'm unmuted. <laughs> hey, watch the mouth. <laughs> oh, sorry. I forgot. This is a family show. Yeah. That's not right. like yours, right? <laughs> Uh, Jeff, Ga oh well, we could, Jeff uh, does a couple of podcasts, right, Jeff? I, I do a couple podcasts, but the, we'll get to that in a minute. The more important yes. thing right now is that you guys do a podcast, and you deserve a a hearty round of congratulations for making it all the way to two hundred. Thanks. We've uh, we've so, clawed and scratched our way here. You know, it's grueling each week, Jeff. But uh, but we we I I second that. I mean, you work with Dave. I mean, come on. <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Oh, sorry. all right. So, did you yeah, have okay. a uh, did you have a question, sir, or are you just uh, slacking off uh, during work hours here? You know me; I'm slacking off during work hours. Excellent. I, I, 
I don't have a question. No, I'm, I'm actually going easy on you guys this evening because, well, it, it's your 200th episode, and I figure that you both um, had a, had a, a wee nip to celebrate already. So I really need to uh, to make it easy on you. All right. Well, uh, then, thank you, Jeff, and uh, and. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Gamut, managing editor for uh, MacObserver.com, co-host of the Apple Weekly Report that we do. And he joins Michael Johnston, who was uh, the first caller that we had uh, on his iPhone Alley podcast regularly. So regularly, he might even be considered a co-host of that. But I don't want to apply labels that I don't know apply. So, uh, you know, well, I'll leave that up to Michael to decide who gets called what. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, if anybody's going to call anybody names, we'll leave it up to him. All right. That's so, right. So, uh, hi, Dad. My uh, my my dad is listening in uh, from one town over here in Dover, New Hampshire, and he asked how long John and I have been friends. Now, he probably knows the answer to this better than anyone. But um, John, we talked about this a hundred shows ago, exactly. Uh, but I believe you and I met when I was. 14 or 15 you were 20 so and you are actually happy birthday john as of last thursday you are now can, can i say how old you are john uh, uh, my gonna, age is no longer the answer to that, the question that's right and, and a few of my followers actually got that so that's right so you're 43 now so john you and i you were 20 when we met uh, you called. So was okay because I thought it was high school, but I think the thing was, I started I, my BBS in high school, but then this is when I was doing my uh, initial uh, uh, undergrad work. Right, that's right. And and your board, uh, John ran a bulletin board, uh, and then he kind of you went offline for a little while, and then you came back online, and it was there was you, a little problem with the uh, yeah the that's law. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so when your board came back online, I had actually started my bulletin board by then, but uh, but I signed up for yours, and you called me to voice validate, and uh, and that's when that's when we met, and so you were twenty. So if you're forty three now, the answer is twenty three years ago. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I, I say this regularly, but uh, you are the oldest friend, not the oldest. Well, maybe may the oldest, uh, the, the friend I've known the longest that I still keep in touch with. So likewise. And, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that was sort of the, uh, you know, one of the driving reasons we started doing this podcast was to I knew I was leaving New Hampshire or leaving Connecticut and moving up here to New Hampshire and it was a good way to force us to uh to keep hanging out even if it's virtually which uh which seems to work all right. Well, I think we concluded that I mean we pretty much kept in touch on a regular basis every couple of weeks anyways. Yeah. And and at one point I think either you or I suggested I'm like, you know, we kind of talk about geeky stuff anyways on a semi-regular basis, so why don't we just record it and see what happens and uh and I had become a big fan of podcasts at that point anyway, driving back and forth from Connecticut to New Hampshire as we were getting ready to move up here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an audio geek and had all the equipment. So mm-hmm. here we are. All right. I, I, I still got to say just one thing to, yeah, to go, thank yeah, yeah. all the listeners. But when I go to iTunes podcast technology and I see that we're somewhere there usually along with some of our other uh, podcasts, but um I'm just humbled I, I'm, uh, because you don't get there unless you, you got a really good supportive user community. And I think we have that, you know, we, uh, you know, I love the style of the show that we do. We're, we're kind of laid back. I think we don't claim to know everything because nobody does. 
and and we try to engage people and and i think we've we've kind of hit upon a good formula so uh you know uh, again thanks to everybody because i it, it's just so cool to <laughs> see us up there <laughs> all right uh so we have a blind question from uh washington here and i don't know if washington is a name a state or perhaps another designation but uh i, I believe you are live washington so uh hello Hey, um, I'm in Washington State. I'm on the phone, so that's interesting. It comes up that way. Oh. Uh, this is Steve in Seattle. I've called a few times. Uh, congratulations on the uh, the podcast. It's Thanks. been great. So uh, here's my story. I've got I'm using Vine server. It crashes periodically, and um, there's a command line to restart it. But I'd like to add that script to the cron have it done once a day. So how do I run a script from the cron in Mac OS Okay. Uh, it, yeah, so this is truly a blind question. Oh, um, man. You know, I, I have in the back of my mind, there is a utility that makes it very easy to just schedule things. I, I don't know if you have to go down to a shell script for a cron. But I, I, I would I'm actually sure. use launch D. I would skip cron and use launch D, which can be cro- okay. controlled with a, a little piece of software called Lingon. And, uh, and that's the one I think. Yeah, there is a way to control cron, but but I believe in in many ways, cron is like being pushed towards deprecation. Right. I mean, it's never going to really go away. It's part of Unix. You know, there's no way you're going to get rid of it. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> well, Lingon, web server. So that's why I thought of that. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally know what you mean on, on the server that runs TMO and, you know, all the stuff we have for backbeat cron is gosh, without it, we'd be dead in the water or we'd have to work 24 seven to keep everything, yeah. you know, the way we want. Yeah, I'm looking to Dave and the description of Lingon seems to cover this is that it allows you to, uh, you know, create scheduled events and, and stuff through scripts. So I, I think that that's probably the best way to do it. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So check out, check out Lingon. You know what? I will, uh, I'll find you a, a link here, although I'm sure a Google. Well, I got search. it here right in front of me. So, uh, go, let's go ahead see. and paste to it you, into the, paste it into people. the chat. Yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Oh yeah. We got tons of it out there. Uh, did I paste uh, the wrong thing in? No, I well, guess we I both did. got the right thing. So uh, they, somebody else put a SourceForge link, which is the one I usually use. Okay, so somebody asked, Pierre asked, uh, so thank you very much, Steve. That's, uh, that, that's an excellent question. And, and what Lingon lets you do is it lets you manage, for, for those who don't know, cron um, and, and launch D. Uh, actually, I'll start with cron because I'm not going to say they're exactly the same. Cron is a service that runs on most Unixes. And monitors Unixes. Fu- Unixes. Is yeah. that the correct? I believe it is. Mm. I think it's Unixes. Unix. Uh, okay, go. Okay, so cron runs on on Unixes, and it monitors what are called cron tabs or little files that describe a time down to the minute when a certain task is supposed to be run. So you can say, okay, at, you know, 2 a.m. every day, I want it to restart my web server. Or every five minutes, I want it to go and run this other little script. And and that's all it does. You have to kind of manage the scripts on your own. You have to build them or or use, you know, uh, built-in scripts or, or what have you. But uh, but that's, that's what it's for. Lingon does the same thing, but more. Lingon, in addition to monitoring by time, can also be triggered by certain system events and and I'm sorry, launch D can be triggered by certain system events and and other things. And Lingon is a GUI program or a graphical program that lets you manage that. So 
without getting overly geeky, though, I'm sure we've crossed the line. Uh, that's that's what those do. So excellent. It's what we do. We cross the line. We cross the line. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of times, if you go into Activity Monitor and you click on a lot of things, they will show LaunchD as, as their source because they LaunchD pretty much, as you said, Dave, kicks it all off. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the core of pretty much everything if you look at, you know, what a... What, yeah, like here, just for example. So I see a Little Snitch Network Monitor. Huh. Okay. Double click on that. Parent process, LaunchD. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, LaunchD... As far as Mac OS ten is concerned, uh, Leopard is concerned. It manages everything. That was a big change from Tiger to Leopard. Is that we 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 started relying on LaunchD a whole lot more. Um, so there you go. Okay, what's next? More. All right. Yeah. Unpredictable you know what, live action. Go. All right. <laughs> That's right. Apple Geek ninety five. Apple Geek. Are you there? Okay. Uh, hi. Uh, can can you hear me? We can. We can hear you okay. now. Okay. Um, I'm calling. I have a time machine problem. Uh, time machine itself is working great, and I've uh, successfully restored a few times from my backups. But when I go to the time machine, either in preferences or in the menu bar, it shows nothing for the latest backup. So it just kind of annoys me that, you know, it shows latest backup, but it won't show when that was. So it says latest backup colon and then nothing after it. Is that right? Yeah, it just says two hyphens. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I know why that happens. Can I? Yeah, man, you go. (laughs) Well, is this is this a portable machine? Yes, it's a laptop. Okay. Based on what I've seen, I've noticed this behavior, too, is that I believe the time machine volume has to be mounted for that to be known. And that may not always happen because I, i've noticed that as well i mean i'm looking at my desktop right now and it's there and i'm looking at my laptop and i'm gonna bet you it's not there because i think typically that volume is is normally not mounted yes i'm looking at my portable and there are all lines through it so the well, only thing i the, see is the next next backup time but i do not see um a lot of other entries here yeah well the two um i have it partitioned into two um sections and they're both um they're both mounted on the desktop at the moment, and it oh. still doesn't show the latest backup. Okay, that. All right, then that's not right. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you got some. Well, well, you said it's partitioned. I, I don't know why that would make a difference, but 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 to me, that's expected behavior with the, uh, at least with the wireless connection, because the the volume has to be there somehow for it to grab that time. So, I, I have an idea. Ooh. That Go. I don't know why this is happening, but what happens if you first enter Time Machine, right? Where, you, you know, you, you go up to the menu or hit the little button and, or hit the little uh, icon in the dock and go in and, and let it kind of, you know, look through the drive to the point where you could restore things. You don't have to, but just get get it to the point where, you know, the, the stars are floating and, and you've got the 3D view and then cancel out and then look and see what it says. Hmm. I, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if because it's a laptop, um, you know, maybe when it's on battery power or, or something, maybe there's some other uh, indicator that, that the machine uses to decide whether or not to go and fetch that information. And by forcing it to fetch it, then maybe you'll get the, uh, the answer. I don't know. Um, let me see. Um, <laughs> 
it's still not going. Normally, when we do this, we get to throw out this great advice, and there's no instant feedback, so we sound like geniuses, right? Because mm-hmm. we have what what we presume, or at least we present, <laughs> to be to be the answer. I think and, what and, I do the next time is cut off the caller, <laughs> so we, we don't hear. <laughs> Sorry, my thumb wasn't fast enough. <laughs> Uh, I thought I got that one, too. Are, are oh, you, well. you know what? So uh, something to do is go into console uh, and search for backup D and, and see if there's anything that appears that gives you an error or an indication that that either Time Machine has uh, six, uh, you know, successfully completed or if there was some error. Uh, right. So. Console backup D as we. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Oh, well, there is something. Uh, and Ooh. that. Um, that was that's from a few hours ago, but it says like exited abnormally, but oh. I don't know, maybe the, maybe the computer got put to sleep or something, but that doesn't make sense that it would be probably now because it's dated from three hours ago. Well, let me jump in with that. Remember what I did with mine and, and, and it was over the network is, uh, use something to keep that connection open then, which I used the sling box uh, for mine in particular. And Bound to be some other. Got your computer working on something else. It can't go to sleep when it's trying to do a backup of time machine. And maybe right. That, maybe yeah. that'll help. So. Maybe maybe overnight. Um, go into you know go in plug it in so that it's powered up. Uh, you know with the with the power adapter. Go into Energy Saver. Set it not to sleep. And then before you go to bed, you know tell it to run a time machine backup and just let it go through. And and in the morning, check that console log to make sure that uh, that you're you know you're you're getting that uh, that backup. Otherwise, you might need to start from scratch and blow away the uh, the the disk image if it you know if it gets Loop to the point where you simply can't get a completed backup. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, it, it's connected directly via USB. Right. Right. So, yeah. 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 No, I'm just I'm just concerned that that there might be something going on, perhaps with the sparse image that's out there or actually it wouldn't be a sparse image. It would just be the, the file system that's out there um, causing causing those issues. So, yeah. yeah, I do keep other things on the same drive. So it might be, you know, the sparse image is thinking there's more space than it is or. Yeah, that could that that could uh, it it could be. Although it should it should see that. I I would try and you know get everything out of the way and, and force that backup and and shoot us an email. You know, and, and this is actually a great opportunity to talk about contact info and how to reach us. So, John, the phone when you're not on talk shoe, how is it that people reach us? I pick up the phone, cell or wired or otherwise, and call two zero six 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 geek, which is Dave four three three five. And you can email feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And, ladies and gentlemen, Dave fixed it. You would never guess that this could happen, but Skype now works. Yeah, so I I was the idiot, um, actually. That was a a little little accounting error, right? It it wasn't an error. So what happens is when you call Skype, it forwards (laughs) it to our 206-666-geek number. And the reason I have it do that is because that way... It emails us when the voicemail comes in and it's all in the spot that we normally check and we don't have to go out of our way to check Skype. Well, in order to do that, of course, we burn what they call Skype out minutes. And uh, we had burned them all the way down to the point where we had like five cents left in the in the account. And of course, you know, it's not going to call out when there's no money left. So uh, once I stumbled onto that and pumped the account full of money again, magically it started working. So. 
so you can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and uh, and I believe it works. I, I, we have we actually had many people test it this week, so I think we're uh, we're all right on that one. All right, uh, are we? We're, do we get all that? We got all that. Okay. Um, how are we doing on time here? We have been at this. 10. Wow, forty three minutes. Okay. Uh, yep, they're having fun. I know. I know. All right. Uh, let's do. Are there okay, John? Before we uh, before we dive into the without a net stuff here, is there anything in the pre prepped questions that we need to get? Actually, there is. There's something in the pre prepped questions. You what know, do you think? Allison um, was was kind enough to uh, to send in well this. Hey, Dave and John, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast hosted over at podfeet.com. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to you to congratulate you on your 200th episode. But I also wanted to point out to the listeners that they need to understand that there is nothing better to clean grout by than the Mac Geek Gab. I mean, you know, you start hearing about GUID things and they're in the, you know, digging into all those details and stuff. You really got to concentrate on what they're saying. So if you're cleaning grout, it turns out you can pay perfect attention to what they're saying. I give my thumbs up recommendation to the Mac Geek Ab for all your grout cleaning needs. <laughs> I just couldn't let the show go without uh, without sharing that with all of you. I, I just put her on a list. <laughs> You put her on a list. I'm not, uh, not sure what it's list one I is. hadn't yet started, but she's on it now. Oh, okay. So Brent's saying we need to listen to her 200th show, and I will. Uh, I will make sure to do that. Yeah, Gene Allison is funny. Um, all right. Uh, are there any other uh, questions in in our our little list there, John? That you just have to feel like we have to get to today. Uh, you know, I I think it's probably worth reading Tom's. Uh, now nah, we can save that till the next. No, I was thinking about okay. David is kind of straightforward, but all right, yeah, well, let's do an email. I'll read the email. That's fine. All right, so oh. we'll do this, and then we'll take two more questions, and then uh, we'll see where we are, and you know, eventually we have to wrap this up. So, uh, I, I should say though, as far as celebrations go, as far as parties go, show number one hundred was was uh, less work than this one. Not not that there, there was actually a whole lot more prep. I had to figure out what kind of computers I had all throughout my life. But but as far as answering questions, we, we got to be on our toes here tonight, John. This is uh, this is it's fun, though. It's good. All right. So David writes, I'm having a lot of fan action. Wow, that happens to rock stars. Oh, no, wait. Or at least it sounds like the fan. This is new. It'll go on for quite a while. I'm not sure what has changed to cause this. I installed temperature monitor to see if it was just running hot. The problem with that is it only gives you the temperature, not whether or not it exceeds normal operations. So I don't know what to do with the info it's giving me. Any ideas? I'll throw this one to you first, John. And I have a great idea. Go to www.intelmactemp.com. You want to know what other people are getting for temperatures? Some of it's there. Now, unfortunately, they show it in this odd, uh, odd thing called uh, centigrade or Celsius. Yeah. But the tools can do that. So, um, so one suggestion is to go there and, and I, I think uh, I'll have to dig around in my bag of tricks, but I think there are some programs that will actually take the temperature and then, and then submit it to a database and kind of give you also a feel for the retired low. But the other thing that I would check out because for what David said, the, he hears the fans come up is to get a utility. Now the, the one that I have used, and you may use also, is a, a dashboard widget called uh, iStat or iStat Pro. I guess they have a couple of them. But um, that will, among other things, show the fan speed. I, I don't know if you have any favorites for uh, showing the fan speed. 
I don't obsess over it a whole lot, but I've never had a situation crop up where the fan uh, has been an issue for me. But yeah, iStat would be the thing I'd use. What, one thing I'll point out. You know, oh, here you go. SMC fan control. I see someone suggested oh, that. Yeah. So, uh, and thermograph is a good utility. So, but, but I would combine the two. Um, if you see both the temp and the fan, I mean, when the fan comes on, that indicates to you somebody started, you know, generating, making me generate too much heat, and I better better turn on. So, uh, by looking at both those figures, I think you may be able to zero in on the process. Uh, plus, something like our pal menu meters. I mean, check your uh, processor because to me, typically your processor utilization, although there are many temperature sensors. Um, if your processor is pegged at 100% for each core, then your fan's going to come on. Yeah, and, and that's, that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because that, that was where I was going to go with this, is, okay, the fans are running when before they were not. Now, it could simply be, you know, I don't know what area of the country David is in. Of course, I could, I could look it up. But I'm sure it says right here. So he's in California in Santa Monica. So it's probably fairly consistent temperatures for him year-round. I don't know. Uh, certainly more consistent than we have here. I know that in the summer, there's one firewire drive I have I need to watch out for because if the temperature in the room creeps above 80, that drive will shut down. Um, so, uh, you know, so it, it could be a temperature thing. It could be, you know, you've got a different setup at your desk or, or something like that. But but it could also be that you've got some app on there that's running constantly and pegging the CPU, which, as John, you said, heats things up. And then that causes the fans to burn or it could be a graphics thing uh, and you wouldn't necessarily see that in the CPU. So uh, because that could be the, the graphics chip. So, uh, you know, and, definitely worth and, thinking of that. And I'd also because uh, I think uh, several folks use this and I do as well. But uh, let me bring it up here. Do I have it running? Yes, I do. Um, Thermograph X. And the nice thing about that is that it has, uh, and as you may or may not know, like, for example, in my you know, G5, I'm just looking here as, as an example. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, count them, seven temperature sensors. And they're not all CPU. Drive bay, um, backside, I think that's for, uh, uh, I forget what that is. Heat sink for, for another connect. Sometimes the names of these are kind of weird. Um, here we go, MLB inlet, main logic board. But the thing is, the heat may not be depending on on what you're running if it's a portable then it's almost certainly the processor or the gpu a lot of times they have different temperature sensors for the processor and the graphics unit so so i guess another uh, to peel the onion a bit another level of detail is look at the temperature sensor for each device like maybe somebody's whomping on your drive in that case the drive heats up if, if it's a desktop and the drive fan comes on right yeah that's right. usually you have a fan usually there's a I think for the most part, there's a one to one between fans and temperature sensors. Sometimes there may be one fan for two sensors that are in a general area. But yeah, I don't think it's always one to one, but. Yep. Okay. And actually, we're getting readings here. So a lot of people are saying that their temperatures, I guess they see them in the 100 degree range, seems to be normal. I, I think for it. Processor temp? I think it really depends on the type of computer. Um, yes. So yeah, it, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't well, take looking right now. So my statement. all right, my yeah. MacBook Pro right now is running at one hundred thirty-one degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, I just happen to have that as a, I, I have that in my menu bar just because I'm interested. And, that, so anyways, and that's, and my 50, that's fifty-five is, degrees centigrade, by the way. Yeah, and then my desktop is running for the most part. The hottest part of this, which is the heatsink for the processor, is running at one hundred forty-three degrees Fahrenheit. So, 
But yeah, check the data, database we talked about. Um, look at each of the temperature sensors and check the fan speed and you should be able to figure it out if, if you use discipline to kind of map all those. There you go. All right. Uh, so we have two more questions in the room and I think that is perfect timing. So uh, Kirshen, I think I'm saying your name right, but uh, whoa, hello. Hey. Hey, John and Dave, it's Christian here from uh, Cedar Rapids. Am I okay? Oh, yeah. yes. Hello. Hey. Um, yeah, I was chatting with a friend the other day about his Logitech mouse, and um, he, tried, he tells me that um, he doesn't get a good acceleration curve with it. Is there any utility that you know of that um, lets you uh, tweak the acceleration curve? Uh, you know... I don't know. Um, the, the first thing to do would be to install the Logitech software. And, and I mm. Mouseworks is the name of the Kensington software. I think it's the Logitech Control Center. Um, I yeah, think, I think I heard of that one. Yeah. So uh, and, and, and so uh, AMC podcast in the in the room is saying to check out USB overdrive. But uh, yeah, I got that on my Power Mac, and I was suggesting that for him as well. Yeah, I use it because I have a Logitech um, a Nano VX mouse, and I love that little tiny mouse. And USB overdrive works with all the buttons. I certainly will tell you about that. Yeah, so I, w- I would say for for you know first step, install the Logitech Control Center because that might give uh, your friend what they're looking for. If not, then okay. uh, then then try USB overdrive and and go from there. So thanks for uh, okay, thanks Very for asking. Cool. Hey, thanks. Congrats on the 200, and I uh, hope to hear more from you all. Keep in touch. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Cool. Uh, all right. One, I think we have one left. Is that is that right, Pete? Aaron Miller, yes. Aaron, all right, cool. And I believe you are live. Hey, guys. Uh, congratulations on getting to show 200. First things first. Thanks. <laughs> Sounding good. Um, so I'd email you guys, but, uh, I'm planning on digitizing my family's LPs this summer using a USB, uh, Iderall sound card. And I was wondering if you guys had any recommendations on software that is free or close to free that I could use to split tracks and do any leveling that needs to happen. I, the only thing I know of that does that is toast from Sonic slash Roxio. And, and of course that's not free. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if anybody in the room here will, will chime in. Somebody says audacity, um, will split That's tracks. what it is. I was thinking of that. Audacity is a very nice free program and I think it's pretty full featured. I don't know if it, I would think it would get down to the level of being able to spit out channels. I'm, I'm almost positive. I haven't used it in quite a while, but that's a, that's a good free, uh, alternative. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I've dabbled with that. Okay, yeah, um, I, I do know that, and I and I realize you know budgets are what they are, but I do know that that Toast has uh, has ways of, of splitting out the tracks that, that you know uh, that that work fairly well. Somebody says there's a that Audacity is it, uh, and and Audio Slicer is the other recommendation. So. Okay. Um, the other thing is, I know you guys are using Audio Hijack Pro, and then there's a product from them called Fission. Yep. Um, and I don't know if either of you had used that at all. I think, okay. if I'm not mistaken, Fission is for editing. Um, isn't that for for editing MP3s? Isn't isn't that right? Yeah. Or, am I, or am I getting there? Uh, yeah. It's it, it's. It will it will let you edit 
MP3 files without having to reconvert them, which is actually magic, right? An MP3 file is a converted audio. And so it has, it's not just a stream of audio all the way through necessarily. It, the whole file is a package. And, uh, and the folks at, at Rogue Amoeba had figured out how to allow you to cut that up without having to resample the whole thing. But, but I don't, unless you've already saved the album to MP3, I'm not sure that vision is what you're looking for. So, okay. But for splitting things up, would that work nicely? Yeah, it does. It works great. And, and, and again, the beauty of that is you don't lose any quality, uh, even if the, the audio is already compressed. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for calling in. All right. Yep. Cool. Can I give a, a big shout out to uh, to Pilot Pete here? He has been managing the queue and uh, taking my wow. hand signals, which, of course, we didn't pre prep or anything and <laughs> totally getting it. I mean, it's like I'll tell you, this is like this is like being on stage. And and, you know, I've worked with a couple of sound, you know, sound engineers on stage where, I, you know, I, I'll be playing and I'll think, gosh, I, I need to hear the guitar just a little bit louder. And I just look at the sound man. And, and I've had this happen once or twice where the sound man just knows what I want and it magically happens. And so this is this has been a, a an experience very much like that where, you know, we're here, we're live. Uh, you know, we don't really know what to expect from uh, from the calls that are coming in. And, and Pete has been managing this perfectly. So, uh, yeah, it's a pilot thing. That's right. It is. It's I, all hand signals. You, know? it, that's you can't right. hear each other. You talk to your ground crew through hand signals. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Well, you know, thank I was you, saying that before, before too, uh, Pete, is that you and uh, Kershaw, I guess you're both uh, pilots. And uh, when I started seeing you two chat with each other, I'm like, now I know how it feels when I talk computer to people. And, All right. and they kind of <laughs> look at me like kind of, huh? Yeah. It, some of your pilot yeah. jargon just to, just kind of. Yeah. What do you say? <laughs> it's, it's like computer speak. I mean, some of it I get the, the acronyms, but some of it I'm like, what? Well, if it makes you feel any better, we don't we don't understand it either. But it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute! That's our secret here oh, with the geek oh, stuff. <laughs> All right, yeah. So I saw somebody posting Twitter stuff in the in the room. We might as well uh, chat about that. So uh, Pilot Pete is Twitter dot com slash Pilot Pete. John, you are Twitter dot com slash John F Braun. Is that right? That is correct. And and Dave Hamilton, I believe, is that's me, Dave Hamilton. Dave Hamilton. That's right. Okay, we're all who we are. We're all who we are. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think, I think, I think, I think we are, we're good. Where's we, the band? You bring the band? I, the band's always here, man. Right. I hope everybody can hear that before I tried to play a song during the uh, thing. Yeah, everybody can hear it. All right. Oh, yeah. Matt Geek at Twitter. So oh, I am yeah. hooked in. You are hooked in, Dave. Uh, yep. Uh, we will usually indicate which one of us is posting something, but, you know. That's right. <laughs> you, you can check, because I, if I'm posting to the Mac Geek Gab Twitter account and I don't identify myself, uh, the other way to check is I'm always on my iPhone, I'm always using Twitter and on my uh. Mac, I'm always using Tweety now, which is a fantastic Twitter client for the Mac, and it's freely available. Tweety? Really? Oh, it's great. You know, I'm still, uh, after all this time, you know, being a Twitter veteran, no. Uh, I still like Twirl. It, it has enough of things that I like, Dave. Uh, it's problem, Air, yes. The which, problem with it is it's Adobe Air, and I've never met an Adobe Air app that I didn't hate. I Okay. I, they get around it. I mean, I tried, like, TweetDeck. The, the, the thing that ruined TweetDeck for me was 
you can't change the column width. I need that. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I cannot accept any application where I cannot change the column width. So that uh. in my book. But Twirl lets me change the size of the window. And it has a background search, spell check, uh, twit pick, um, yeah, yeah. searching for... It, it has... It, it, it does what I need for now. Tweety's much Anyways. better on the Mac. But, but I have yeah, to well, say... That's, that's your, your, you know... No, no, this is fact. I'm just, I'm just sharing facts. That's all I do. Uh, but on the iPhone, you know, what? I tried Tweety on the Mac and finally Twit thought... Twit phone I like. And fi- I finally thought, you know, I should try Tweety on the iPhone. So I ponied up and I bought it. And there's a couple of things about the UI that are slightly better than Twiddlator, but overall, man, Twiddlator Pro is way better on the iPhone. And and the next version that's coming out... Um, no, phone. I like Twitphone. I think Twitter you turned me Twitter that, phone, you mean? The yeah, Twitter for phone. a free Twitter client, F-O-N. Twitter phone is great. Yeah. Yeah, well, here we go. Well, Mark Shepard, he's got the right idea. He uses Twirl, so Mark's right. I got someone else out there. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> All right. Just saying, you know. Uh, yeah, where are we here? Okay, uh, so... We uh, we have a couple of things to go through. So of course we uh, we have Cashfly, which will provide all of the bandwidth, except of course for the Talkshoe stuff. And Talkshoe seem to work great. So uh, Cashfly hosting at Cashfly.com, the podcast marketplace. And I do I wanted to thank all our sponsors. I know I said before it's great, but uh, but you know we got to 200 shows here, and our sponsors are certainly no small part of that. Uh, the uh, of course the the W1 and the W2 from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, PDF Pen, Text Expander, Disc Label, all that great stuff from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies. Thank you all. This is uh, you know you folks make great apps, and uh, it is our pleasure to talk about them each each week. And of course, all that is made possible through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's uh, we we get to wrap this one up here, John. I'm amazed. Eighty two. Uh, I see guest eighty two. We got up to eighty two. Oh, I was wondering how you were counting these. I would love to know how many people are logged into Talkshoot any one time, but I don't think we can tell that. A bunch. No. A bunch. Yeah. Many pages worth. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been great. And we'll we'll do it soon. That's right. Three hundred. Gentlemen, just wanted to say that was a fantastic live show. This is Barry from Chicago. Dave and John, great job and congratulations on number 200. Here's to another 200. John, happy belated birthday. And you guys, don't get caught. Hey, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. It's Leandro here from the UK. Congratulations on your 200th episode. What a milestone. Hopefully, here's yet to another 200 episodes. Thank you so much for your effort, time, and for four years of the Mac Geek Gab. As always, keep up the great work, and don't get caught. Made up.